Thank you, choir, for that ministry in music. He is risen. We gather today to celebrate what is the most important event in the history of mankind. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is impossible to overstate the importance of the resurrection. Impossible to overstate the importance of the resurrection. Everything we believe as Christians is built upon, contingent upon, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ did not rise, our worship is meaningless. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to the gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand. For I delivered to you first of importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The resurrection is at the very core of our faith. If you confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that he was raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The resurrection is such an integral part of our Christian faith that worship itself was changed from the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday of the Old Testament, to Sunday, today, in in perpetual celebration of the resurrection, because Jesus rose on a Sunday. Now we worship on a Sunday. There are two ordinances that have been given to the church, and they focus on the resurrection. The first ordinance that we're going to celebrate tonight is baptism. And it's been the church's tradition from the time of the New Testament to celebrate baptism on Easter Sunday. Because it is a time in which people publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and express their belief in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so if you come back tonight, this pulpit is going to be, re- be removed and behind me, this screen is going to be taken out and there's a baptistry. And people are going to come down and descend into the waters in that baptismal pool. And they're going to be asked, can you confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead? Can you testify That through believing in him, you've experienced forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God? They will say yes. And on the basis of that profession of faith, they're going to be baptized. And in that baptism, they're going to be standing in water. They're going to be lowered, submerged under the water, and come up again out of the water. That symbolizes, symbolizes, it doesn't accomplish it, symbolizes dying and rising with Christ. Baptism is a living illustration of people's faith and trust in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Communion is a time in which we reflect upon the death of Christ. 
and recognize the benefits that have been accrued to us as we partake of the cup and the bread. And we are instructed that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. It is a recognition that Jesus Christ has risen and is coming again. Our faith is totally dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Unfortunately, there are many people that don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are religious people that don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world religions, for the most part, do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then we really wouldn't expect them to, now would we? But, what is even more striking is that there are people who call themselves Christians and want to identify with Christ and yet fail to believe in the resurrection. There are actually people gathering together today in churches in which they do not affirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is addressing a group of people in Corinth. Now, this church in Corinth had a lot of problems. There were divisions. There were issues that existed. And there were doctrinal issues among them. So Paul writes to them and says this. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. How do some among you? Paul is writing to a church. A Christian church. A church where he himself had ministered for a period of time. And he says, there are some among you that say there is no resurrection of the dead. Paul wants them to come to grips with the reality of what that means. What would it mean? What are the ramifications if Jesus Christ had not physically, bodily been raised from the dead? This morning, we want to look at the ramifications of what it would mean if Jesus Christ had not raised from the dead, so that we would have a greater appreciation, a greater rejoicing, a greater thankfulness in all that has been given to us as a result of Christ's death and resurrection. So what would it mean if Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead? Well, first, if Christ is not risen, then preaching is empty and void of the truth. Look at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Paul's preaching focused upon the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached. The gospel, the good news that Paul preached. Centered upon the resurrection. Notice verse 4. That he was buried. 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Preaching would be empty, would be vain, would be meaningless if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead. Preaching would be empty, of no value. I believe that one of the reasons in so many churches that preaching is becoming less and less relevant, less and less a central part of worship, because it's empty and it's meaningless. Because there are so many churches that don't believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Paul writes Timothy, I solemnly charge you, listen to these words, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. So, Paul bases his charge to Timothy to preach on the fact that Jesus Christ is going to judge the living and the dead, that he is going to appear again, and he is going to establish his kingdom. Based on that, he says, preach the word, be diligently, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. There will come a time in which they won't want to hear the truth. We live in such days where many, many people don't want to hear about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if Christ did not rise, preaching is empty. It's meaningless. It's of no value. But secondly, not only is preaching of no value... If Christ did not rise from the dead, then faith is groundless and illusionary and meaningless. For notice verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Your faith also is vain. The power of faith is to be found in its object, not in faith itself. Our culture tends to view faith as an end in and of itself. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Faith is what is important. What is, what's it in is irrelevant. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It matters what the faith is in. Our culture says faith is individualistic and it is pragmatic. What's important about faith is, does it work for you? Does it work for you? You're a Christian, that's great, if that works for you. I'm not a Christian, that's great, because it works for me. It just matters if what you believe in works for you. Now, what does that mean? 
Does it work for you? What's the pragmatism that lies behind that? What is the question? Does it work for you? Well, I think what's meant by that is, does it bring you comfort? Does it help you through difficult times? Is it something that enables you to sleep at night? To rest your head on the pillow with less anxiety? Does it enable you to have a more positive outlook on life? Faith, in that instance, in that realm, is a sugar pill. It's a placebo. It's something that is prescribed that has maybe some kind of psychological benefit, but doesn't do anything at all to actually cure the disease. So, yeah, maybe it's possible for people to have faith in things that are mythological and untrue, and they derive a measure of comfort from that. Maybe they have a rabbit's foot in their, in their pocket that makes them feel a little more safe when they drive down the road. Maybe they have a practice, a, a ritual that they go through that alleviates kind of anxiety and stress, and, and maybe they're more comforted uh, as a result. Well, if that's what faith does, then, yes, I guess that kind of faith does have a certain degree of benefit. But... It doesn't have the cure to the world's problem. Just as with the sugar pill, the patient still dies. That kind of faith brings death. It can't cure the world's needs. Which brings us to the third. If Christ is not risen, then there is no basis for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. You see, the disease, the problem that we have in life is that we are sinful people. That we have sinned against God. And the things that are causing us the stress and the hardship and the anxiety in life stem from our sin. And that sin has to be removed. That sense of guilt, that sense of alienation, that sense of need, that sense of want that we all possess has to be dealt with. And the scriptural way to deal with it is to find the forgiveness that God provides. So, guilt is removed, not just tapered over, not just a sugar pill of, well, you shouldn't feel guilty. It's not really your fault. It's not really your responsibility. You can't take that weight upon you. You feel guilty, but you shouldn't. We are a guilty people. And our conscience tells us that time and time again. And what we need to do is respond in faith. Trusting in the forgiveness that is ours because Jesus Christ died in our place and rose again. 
Faith in Jesus Christ is not a sugar pill. It's not a placebo. It's not a crutch. It's not wishful thinking. It isn't something just to get me through today's difficulty or hardship or provide me with a good night's sleep. It's about having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and experiencing the forgiveness of sins. Fourth, if Christ is not risen, then there is no hope of eternal life. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Have perished. Jesus said to Martha at the graveside of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We live because Jesus lived. We come forth from the grave because Jesus came forth from the grave. If Jesus doesn't come forth from the grave, we don't come forth from the grave. And you see, all of life becomes a sham. We all have loved ones. And they die. And we hold funeral services. And we talk. We use passages such as John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If Jesus didn't go there, we're not going there. If Jesus didn't ascend to heaven, we're not ascending to heaven. It's a sham. It's delusional thinking. There's no reality to it. And we would be better off waking up to it and just saying it's foolishness. Funerals are more than just nice words to placate people. Funerals are in celebration of a truth. That when a person physically dies, their spirit, their soul is separated from their body and ascends to heaven. And one day, Jesus is coming back to this earth and there's going to be a reuniting of body and spirit. And people are going to come forth physically from the dead. And that's that great hope that we look forward to. Because Jesus rose from the dead. But 1 Corinthians 15 18 says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Have perished. The great words of Jesus to the thief next to him on the cross was, Today thou shalt be with me 
in paradise. The hope of eternal life. If Jesus Christ did not rise, there is no hope of eternal life. If Jesus simply died and that's it, then that's what happens to us. Fifthly, if Christ is not risen, then the apostles are liars. Look at verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses. We are found to be false witnesses. The apostles were given as witnesses. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and following. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas. That's Simon Peter. Then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul says, all of the apostles have seen him and I have seen him too. Time and time again, the book of Acts. Acts 2.32. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. The apostles constantly said, we are witnesses. We are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If they didn't see a resurrected Christ, they're liars. They're liars. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, if they're liars, first of all, there's no reasonable explanation of the change that takes place in the life of the apostles. When Jesus dies on the cross, they're nowhere to be found. They're scattered. They're afraid. Peter, after Jesus is arrested and is put on trial, there's a a simple maid that says to Peter, weren't you one of them? And he denies. And they said, well, I I thought I saw you with them. And he denies again. And then she said, but I'm sure I saw you with Jesus. And he denies a third time, even taking God's name in vain in order to show that he has nothing to do with Jesus. He swears because he's afraid of identifying with Jesus Christ and what that's going to mean. What explains the change that takes place in the apostles? What what explains the transformation of their life, their character? What about the apostle Paul who was raised as a devout Jew who persecuted the church, was present at the stoning of Stephen, who wanted nothing more than to exterminate this sect called Christians. And then, all of a sudden, he becomes a Christian. And he says he became a Christian because he saw the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. And he became one of those that formerly he persecuted. What explains the change in his life? What explains the difference in the apostles? Sixthly, if Christ is not risen, then the apostles and Christian martyrs died for nothing. Look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If 
our trust in Christ only has benefit now and not for eternity. We are of all people to be most pitied. You need to understand the historical context. There was no benefit whatsoever. Earthly speaking. For Paul and the other apostles to identify themselves as believers in a Jesus that rose from the dead. There was absolutely no benefit. There was no social benefit. They were outcasts. Outcasts from their people. Outcasts from their family. Outcasts from the synagogue. Socially, they suffered in identifying with Jesus Christ. There was no benefit to them economically. That's so important for us to understand. Because in this day and age, religious false teachers abound. And many of them are getting rich because they're duping people out of their money. They're charlatans. They're false teachers. And they live in luxurious homes. And they have incredible lifestyles. And huge amounts of money. Because people just pour out the money to these false teachers. It wasn't so in the day of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. He worked with his hands. A secular job. At the same time, he was preaching the gospel. He wasn't getting rich by preaching that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There was no economic benefit to his preaching Jesus Christ. But not only was there no social benefit, not only was there no economical benefit, but it cost him his life. It cost him his life. Every apostle except John, died for their faith. Every apostle but John died for their faith. And John died in exile on the Isle of Patmos. He died as a prisoner, if you will. He suffered. But all the rest die for their faith. Chuck Colson. Maybe you remember that name, those of you who are older. If you remember Chuck Colson, part of the White House in the time of, of Nixon, Part of the cover-up that resulted in Watergate. Chuck Colson came to faith in that period of time of Watergate. And Chuck Colson said that what was most instrumental in his life in coming to faith was that, that he began to contemplate how that they couldn't keep the cover-up going concerning Watergate that began to unravel. It, when people started having the situation where they may have to go to prison because of things they had done, then out of the woodwork came individuals that were glad to tell the truth and glad to tell what really happened. And of course, you know the story of Watergate and eventually uh, President Nixon had to resign. 
Chuck Colson, who was a part of that whole Watergate situation, it dawned on him. If we couldn't keep this cover-up, how in the world could the apostles have continued that cover-up? And even more importantly, why would they? Why would they? Why would they go to their death in proclaiming an experience that they never really had? There's no explanation. There's no explanation. Well, lest we get too negative, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.20. But, now... Christ has been raised from the dead. Enough foolish talk. Enough foolish consideration. Christ has risen from the dead. And since Christ is raised from the dead, let's just briefly think about what that means. Since Christ is risen from the dead, our preaching has substance, meaning relevance. We have something to talk about today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it has significance for now and for eternity. Since Christ has risen from the dead, our faith is based upon a living hope. We will not be disappointed. It's not a sugar pill. It's not just something to get us through the day. It's not just something so that we go away from a funeral with a few less tears in our eyes. It's so that when we die, we find out that there was a reality to that hope. That when we die, we are in the presence of God. And we have eternal life. There's substance to our faith. There is a reality to its truth. Since Christ has risen from the dead, we can have eternal life through placing faith in Him. Since Christ has risen from the dead, the gospel witnesses are reliable. Since Christ has risen from the dead, there is great reward in serving Christ. If Christ has not been raised, we are of all people to be most pitied. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This is a, a verse of Scripture that at the age of 16 I adopted as my life verse. When I was 16 years old I said my life is going to be lived around the truth of this verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the summation of this chapter. It starts out with, if Christ is not risen, preaching is in vain, faith is in vain, life is in vain, but because Christ has risen from the dead, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that it's not in vain. Because Jesus Christ has been raised. Paul is not to be pitied. 
Paul gave his life for that which is true, which is vital, and he's being rewarded in heaven forever and ever as a result. Everything in our Christian faith hinges on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our response this morning should be three. First, I invite you to place your faith and trust in Him. Not faith in faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in a rabbit's foot. Not faith in an amulet. Not faith in a myth. Not faith in wishful thinking. Not faith in a sugar pill or a placebo. Faith in a risen Lord. Place faith in Him. And through Him you can have eternal life. And without Him you cannot. Second response, to rejoice. To give thanks. To give praise. We have much to celebrate this morning because everything that we enjoy in life and our spiritual walk with God is accomplished because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Everything that we hold dear. And so thirdly, let's worship. Let's worship. Let's acknowledge not only with our lips, but with our hearts that to serve Him is not vain. Let us go forth gladly proclaiming Jesus Christ risen from the dead at the workplace in our schools, in our communities, wherever we find ourselves, let us identify with Jesus Christ because we need to be steadfast and movable, always abounding the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this day. We thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. May we see how vitally central it is to all that we hope and believe. Lord, we have confidence today because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sins because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have something to preach. We have something to believe because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have eternal life because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you for that great truth. In Jesus' name, amen.